Am I addicted to social media? In short, yes. I don't think that I'm addicted to social media. I have, I like take an extended break from social media. I feel like I could stop if I wanted to. I know that that's the, the, the classic refrain of an addict or whatever, but genuinely I, I think that I'm not addicted because it's not something that I'm dependent on, but who's to say? Social media started freaking me out in high school when I'd close Instagram on my phone, blank for a second, and then immediately reopen Instagram without even thinking. Maybe my mom had a point. I was spending too much time on my phone without even realizing how much time had gone by. It's cliche by now to say that social media is addictive, but what does that even mean? Can we actually get addicted to social media? And does our brain change? I'm Alyssa Martindale, and on today's episode of The Brainy Bunch, we're digging into social media addiction. Is it really a thing? And if so, what can we even do about it? To answer that, we have to understand how addiction works. Biological, psychological, and sociological factors all play a role in whether someone will suffer from addiction. And there isn't a way to predict who will become addicted. Scientists do have an idea of what happens in the brain of someone with an addiction problem. It starts with a little neurotransmitter called dopamine. Dopamine has many roles. It's involved in sleep, nausea, attention, but it's best known for the key plays in experiencing rewards. Dopamine is released when we eat food, have sex, and other stuff like that. We feel good and keep pursuing those things that make us feel good. Dopamine pathways carry this neurotransmitter from the places where it's concentrated throughout the rest of the brain. Dopamine helps us stay alive by incentivizing us to do the stuff we need to do to stay alive. That sound is healthy dopamine. You eat some cookies and dopamine fires. You get a good night of sleep and dopamine fires. It goes from the core part of your brain all the way throughout and keeps incentivizing that good behavior. In an addicted brain, dopamine is firing too much for the wrong things. Some addictions, like opioid addictions, happen because opioids mimic dopamine in the brain. Their structure is physically similar. It feels good, but not quite in the right way. The brain is tricked regardless. Dopamine can also start firing for the wrong things, like slot machines. That would be a behavioral addiction. When that happens, an addicted person keeps chasing the rush over and over and over again. So the dopamine will keep firing, firing, and firing. Behavioral addiction and chemical addiction, like substance abuse, can cause the same symptoms. The DSM, the Diagnostic Standard Manual that psychiatrists and psychologists use to diagnose mental illnesses, that DSM actually lists 11 criteria for diagnosing substance use disorder, and you can have substance use disorder of varying degrees of intensity. A few of those symptoms are social problems related to use, neglecting major responsibilities in order to use, Withdrawal, tolerance, using larger amounts for a longer time, 
physical or psychological problems related to use, and craving. Physical dependence causes somatic withdrawal symptoms. So withdrawal symptoms you feel in your body. Those would be typical things that you might know from movies, TV shows, or personal experience like nausea, vomiting, or headaches. Psychological dependence causes emotional, motivational withdrawal symptoms, so changes in mood. The two are not mutually exclusive, and it's important to remember that an addicted person can't stop gambling, drinking, or doing whatever it is they're addicted to, even if they want to. That's just the basics of addiction. To understand social media addiction, and if it's even real, we have to see if those criteria are happening in the brain of someone who can't stop using social media. The dopamine rush that causes addiction is at play when we use social media. Neuroscientists know that positive social stimuli result in a dopamine release. Having a nice social interaction feels good and is helpful for survival. So our brain gives us a bit of dopamine to incentivize us to keep connecting with other people. That also explains why so many people are having mental health problems in quarantine during the pandemic. Without those social interactions, we're having less dopamine than we're used to. Not to mention all of the other stresses that come with living during the pandemic. Going on social media mimics the social interactions that release dopamine. Part of that is by design. That's what's so amazing about social media. We're able to connect with loved ones who live far away, like when I FaceTime my mom or send my sisters an Instagram DM. And we can find groups of people with the same niche interests as us. Using social media and getting the dopamine rush from it isn't inherently bad or addictive. The problem is that it can get pretty severe. Social media addiction probably isn't harmless. Along with all of the typical problems that come with addiction, like withdrawal and spending all your time on use, some studies are beginning to suggest that people with internet addiction disorder experience physical changes in their brain. A quick caveat here, internet addiction disorder, or IAD, is not in the DSM-5. But there are some people who argue that it should be in the next update. It's diagnosed based on a self-reported survey. So here's one study about decreased white matter in the brain. Findings suggest that IAD demonstrated widespread reductions of fractional anxiotropy in major white matter pathways, and such abnormal white matter structure may be linked to behavioral impairments. Okay, what does that actually mean? For this study, the researchers sorted subjects into a control group, adolescents without IAD, and an observational group. Those are the kids who did have IAD. The researchers used diffusion tensor imaging on all of the subjects to examine white matter in the brain. Diffusion tensor imaging is a detailed type of MRI which shows the rate of water diffusion in brain cells. That can help show how much white matter someone has in their brain. And white matter is the good stuff. Neurons in white matter are covered in a substance called myelin, which protects the neurons while improving the speed in transmission of the electrical impulses that carry information across the brain. Myelin also gives white matter its color and its name. Okay, back to the study. Researchers used diffusion tensor imaging on the adolescent subjects and found that the ones who had internet addiction disorder had impairments to their white matter compared to the healthy subjects, suggesting a physical degradation of the brain associated with internet addiction. Now, this study is in no way conclusive. For one thing, the sample size was pretty small, with only 16 healthy subjects and 17 IAD subjects. That being said, it's still a little bit concerning and scary as someone who uses social media all the time. So our brain probably does change with social media use, even though we're not sure how conclusively. 
But does that make us addicted? Behaviorally, there are plenty of anecdotes that seem to say yes. So as I said, the DSM-5 doesn't list social media addiction. Some believe that most behavioral addictions are functions of other behavioral diagnoses, like generalized anxiety disorder or major depression. And it's also important to note here that not everyone would be equally impacted by social media addiction. So social media addiction, if it were able to be isolated, could be a false flag for other social inequalities. Addiction highlights existing inequalities because people with less access to resources often find themselves back in those situations where they're addicted. That could be the same for social media. Candace Ogders wrote in Nature that teens use digital communication to enhance relationships by sharing intimacy, displaying affection, and arranging meetups and activities. The point there is that social media isn't all bad. There are positive aspects, and even if someday scientists are able to conclusively identify social media addiction, it doesn't mean that everyone who uses social media is bad or stupid or an addict. Yet 5-10% to of internet users are unable to control how much time they spend online. Some users are also unable to estimate how much time they spend on social media. They think they were online for 30 minutes, but they were really online for an hour and a half. That happens to me all the time. There's also something called phantom vibration syndrome. It's not very well studied or understood, but it refers to that feeling when you're positive you just got a notification, you feel the vibration on your pocket, you check your phone, and you just see your blank home screen blinking back at you. You simulated the vibration because you were so excited to receive a notification. Social media and phones are also designed to be addictive. Tristan Harris, a former Google design ethicist, has made a career out of calling out the ways that social media companies use clever design to hijack our attention and control those dopamine hits. Social media apps simulate social interaction with push notifications. Those notifications that push to your home screen and vibrate your phone or give you a audio ringtone. Those push notifications make you think you're interacting with a real person. For example, Facebook controls when notifications come through in order to maximize your use. The push notifications follow something called a partial reinforcement schedule, which is psychology speak for randomly timed. A partial reinforcement schedule means you don't know when you're going to get a notification, so you just keep checking, checking, and checking. The notifications don't come every 15 minutes, every day at noon, or at some sort of predictable time. Instead, it's random. And the unpredictable reinforcement of push notifications is what makes us addicted. As we get used to the randomness of notifications, our tolerance also increases, and we'll keep scrolling for longer and longer periods of time. There is no conclusive neuroscientific answer on whether social media is officially addictive, the same way we know alcohol or opioids and other drugs are addictive. But if you don't like how much you're using social media, or if you're concerned you're addicted, there are some steps to take. You don't have to delete social media. There are good things about it, as I said. And I've tried over and over and over again to delete, and all I do is relapse and redownload so I can keep scrolling through Twitter. First, though, you should turn off all those damn notifications. Go into settings on your phone and turn off push notifications for the apps that you don't want controlling your time and attention. For me, that meant turning off notifications for everything besides texts, phone calls, and some news alerts. You can go into a news app on your phone to tailor what kind of notifications are important enough to interrupt what you're already doing.
Second, keep your phone away from your bed. The alarm clock is the gateway to an hour of scrolling before bed and when you wake up. That's definitely the case for me. Whether it means you keep your phone far from your bed and walk to go check your email in the morning or get a different alarm clock, the best solution to keep your mornings and evenings free from social media notifications and potential addiction is to just keep it away. The third thing you can do is really tough. And I'll be honest, I couldn't stick with this one. You can turn your phone to grayscale. Apps use bright colors to draw you in. Our eyes are naturally attracted to bright, warm tones. That's why so many apps have switched from a blue shade to a warmer shade like Instagram's icon has, and why the little notification bubbles are always red. Notifications seem super urgent when they blink red at you every time you open your phone just to check the weather. So putting it in grayscale can help with that. Like I said, this one's really tough and I couldn't stick with it. It's important to remember that social media is not all bad. Social media is a way for adolescents, and everyone, frankly, to connect with their friends and family, find new interests, and learn new things. We also shouldn't harshly judge teenagers, college students, or anyone who seems to be addicted to social media. Addiction is a biological phenomenon, but also a societal one. Rather than shaming kids who spend tons of time on social media, we should be looking at tech companies who try to take advantage of our brains. The individual actions I listed above are not the same as fundamentally changing the incentives of social media companies. Without that fundamental change, our brains will keep getting hijacked. Yeah, I would say I'm addicted to social media. As soon as I pick up my phone, it's like my fingers automatically know what they're doing and they just go to click the app. Definitely the default now is um, a reliance, especially when I have a moment of downtime. I would say that I'm not addicted to social media and that I don't really have a problem not actively using social media um, or being involved in it extensively. But I would say that I use social media as a way to communicate with other people and that I do use it frequently and that it's kind of integrated its way into my lifestyle. And it gives me 10 minutes to check in with other people and see what other people are doing and to give my brain um, some time to rest in between classwork and homework and all the other things that I have going on in the day. Thanks for listening. I wrote, edited, and produced this episode with feedback from the whole class, all of the Brainy Bunch. And I got some extra help from Jen Huang. You can listen to her episode about video game addiction, the one right before mine. Thank you also to Rashid Evelyn, Joe Gurr, Brittany Ho, and Megan Martindale for sharing their thoughts on their own social media addiction, or lack thereof. Next up, Michael is going to talk about how neuromarketing could change what we buy and how it's sold to us.